Some of the smartest dummies Can't read the language of Egyptian mummies On a flag or a moon And can't find food for the starving tummies Pay no mind to the youths Cause it's not like the future depends on it But say the animals in the zoo Cause the chimpanzee them are make big money Is it how the media villages On TV the picture is Savages and villages And the scientists still can't explain the pyramids huh. Evangelists making a living on the videos of ribs of the little kids Stereotyping the image of the images Alrighty guys, that was Damian Marley and Nas Patience of the Distant Relatives album. Um, very great album, a lot of knowledge bars on there, um, a lot of positivity, um, black excellence, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, welcome back to I've Been Thinking About It, um, this is episode 2, uh, we have a good, good show in store for you today. Um, my name is Christian Yearwood, your host of course And what I would like to talk about today, right Is the violence that has been going on in Barbados Now, this is a touching topic to a lot of us um, Because I feel like Beijing have realized that It's getting way out of control Um the, the incident that happened at the school a few weeks um, a few weeks ago I feel like that really drove people over the edge and um, I would just like to uh, give my perspective on the violence and the drug problems and the gun problems in Barbados and where they stem from um, so I won't take a, a socio-economic uh, type of viewpoint looking at the violence in Barbados, right? So, of course, Barbados is a former colony. Um, and, of course, we adopted the British uh, constitution and legal and judicial system. Uh, so, our, our our political system is very much the same as the British system. Um, however, in Barbados, right, the Prime Minister has immense power. This is because there's a lack of separation of powers, right? The executive branch, which is the DLP or the BLP, whichever um, party is in power at the time, obviously they write the laws and they enforce the laws. And they also appoint judges and they can also appoint the um, attorney general. So there's no clear separation of powers in Barbados per se um, which is one of the biggest problems that we have in, in our society and famous lawyer I don't know if you want to call him famous but Andrew Pilgrim I was listening to a podcast he did with um, Bajan Farai their par- uh, and Adrian Green their podcast is called The Boiler Room um, you guys should check it out it's very informative very Bajan um, I, I, I'm, I'm an avid listener of that as well uh, But Adrian Green was basically arguing on this podcast That we, you know, we have an outdated pol- political and judicial system Right? There's a lack of transparency within the system um, There's a lack of accountability um, For politicians and for judges And You know, what this leads to Is a clogged up legal system Right? You see, we don't have a gun court in Barbados, obviously, which is something that I think that we need that would help um, with the backed up cases as such. 
Um, but some of the problems that we have in our society, you know, for example, a justice of peace, right, can sign a search warrant, right? So if the police want to search my house, he could go to a justice of peace, and the justice of peace will be able to sign that search warrant, and he will be able to legally search my house. Now, the problem with this is that who appoints the justice of pieces? <laughs> the prime minister, of course. Um, and the problem with that is that what are the guides, and Andrew Pilgrim is speaking to this, what are the guidelines and the regulations, and, and what are some of the, I don't know if you want to say, purity tests that someone has to pass in order to become a justice of peace in Barbados and sign search warrants? Right, that is something that is very, very intrusive, um, and very um, dangerous to our rights as Barbadian citizens. Right, so that's one of the problems with a lack of transparency in our system. Right, and and basically what Adrian Green, um, not Adrian Green, Andrew Pilgrim was trying to get at was that we have a very immature system. Right, um, so. What what was the implications for this, right? We got a system, ain't got no transparency, they ain't really got no accountability. Um, what was the implications? Now, the biggest implication obviously would be corruption, because you know the government officials and this is clear by Donville. Um, the example of Donville evidence, the most recent example in my head, but the politicians in Barbados for tens of years. Um, have simply been lying, um, deceiving the Barbadian public, and stealing um, resources from Barbados, right? Uh, we wastage of the resources, you know, and ineffective and bloated bureaucracies, you know. Um, if you go down, when you get on to um, licensing and authority, that's a whole nother. Every Bajan know what it is. No way is like to deal with licensing authority. And that's just at a minor level. And and that is the problem, right? It's a top-down sort of thing where there's no real accountability for the prime minister, for the politicians, for the cabinet ministers, for, for the judges. So you really feel that the man that working at licensing authority cares about dealing with your business to a certain um, extent or or with a certain um, type of class right so this, this is what I like to call the legacy of slavery right right um, so what I also want to talk about too right is the fact that because we have such a a system where the political elites for years and years of this country have been practicing nepotism and favoritism, right? And the average man in Barbados has been disenfranchised, right? There's a lack of opportunity, right? There's a lack of investment, serious investment in Barbados, right? Now, one of the, one of the, one of the problems with that is because of what I just described. The legacy of slavery. Now, what am I talking about? I'm talking about, as I said in the beginning, we are a British colony. We have the British system. The inefficiencies that came with the British system, 
we have now taken on in Barbadian society. We have not fixed them. We have not addressed them, right? They still exist, right? And there's even less transparency in our system because, I mean, for whatever reason, Bajans don't seem to hold the politicians accountable. That's me, you, everybody. You know, we don't seem to be... I don't know if it's that we don't care enough or that we don't think that we can do something about it, but we don't seem to hold the politicians accountable. Now, what does this have to do with crime in Barbados? Guns, drugs. Now, there's a very brilliant documentary that Vice did that I was watching recently. Um, it's called Corruption, Cocaine in Trinidad, I believe. Corruption and Cocaine in Trinidad. Something like that, right? And it was documenting about the gangs in Trinidad, the Rasta City, and the other gangs in Trinidad that came about as a rise because of the coup that happened um, in the 90s in Trinidad, where the Trinidadians realized the only way, well, some Trinidadians believe that the only way to take over the government and to get control for the people is through military force. Right? Now, in Trinidad, the, the corruption is rampant, um, is a huge problem. They have it in their force, um, and the government as well, top government officials. And, and the thing that we need to be clear about, right, as Bajans, when we discuss crime and drugs in Barbados and the gangs in Barbados, what we need to not forget is that it takes a lot of resources, a lot of capital to bring in these drugs, these guns, um, etc right so if in Trinidad for example right just a few miles away from me not a few but you get what I mean if in Trinidad there's evidence of corruption with government officials and people big people in the business community investing in drugs and investing in importing guns in bar in, in Trinidad why do we think that is not happening in Barbados, right? That's the question um, that that's ponder on that's ponder on my on my mind, right? Clearly, there is some high level corruption that is going on that has been going on in Barbados, which allows for the guns and the drugs to be imported, right? When we have corruption at the highest levels of government in our country right it is expected that we will have high levels of crime because one of the problems with corruption right is that it creates an unequal society right in terms of wealth and income inequality in terms of influence on public policy in terms of influence on who actually is able to run for government right now, let me ask a question. How are political parties in Barbados funded? Now, I researched this and the only thing that I could find legally um, in, in the Barbados Constitution or in the Barbados law books was that there was a certain amount of money that is split between the, the party that is in power and the party and the um, obviously the opposition party. And it was something about I don't think it was any more than 300,000 Barbadian dollars in total that was to be split between, uh, obviously, the two parties that we have in Barbados.
Now that begs the question, where is the rest of the money that is financing these election campaigns coming from? No, there's no transparency at all in government. Um, there's no transparency within the political parties. There's no transparent. There's no laws that say that if you run for government in Barbados, you have to disclose your assets or you have to dis your family's assets or you understand. There's no laws um, governing campaign finance in Barbados. Um, in America, it's easier to see the 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 bribery and the corruption because they legalized it. Um, with Citizens United and they basically said that money is free speech so if a corporation gives money to a candidate that's the equivalent of speech um, absolutely absurd but that is how they have legalized bribery in America but in Barbados we don't have a mature uh, democracy so we don't have transparency um, so the bribery is happening but we have no evidence of it um so that 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 is the outlook that is what we're dealing with right now in Barbados, right? Now what I wanna talk about too as well and why this this thing is a cycle, right? Now back to the legacy of slavery. I wanna talk about neocolonialism. Now I was reading an article sometime back that I saved um, it was by a guy called George Connolly, and he was arguing that neocolonialism is still alive and well in Barbados. And he cited the fact that a Digicel Barbados claims there are no suitable CEOs available in the country, so they will have to be looking elsewhere, meaning Europe um, or the Americas, for a CEO of Digicel Barbados. Now, there's a clear example of neocolonialism, right? Because what you have is Barbados, Bar Barbados, a service that provides for Barbadians, right? But the major decisions, um, the, the major decision making in the cor within the corporation is not being made by a Barbadian. It's being made by someone, obviously, that they are bringing in from overseas, right? Um, and this is not just Digicel Barbados, right? This is at all levels um, of business in Barbados, right? Where you're seeing high-level um, executives that they, they simply are not Beijing, right? Um, they're from foreign, foreign, foreign countries. No, there's nothing wrong with someone being from a foreign country, right? That's not what I'm saying. And 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 holding a position of power. Um, in a company in Barbados, that's not what I'm saying, right? But when we look at neocolonialism, right, and the legacy of slavery, and we take a look at the IMF and we take a look at the World Bank that emerged from the 1944 um, Bretton Woods Conference after World War II. Now, these financial institutions were supposed to, to help the third world, quote-unquote, with development, right? And um, so the American and the European banks basically funded the development um, of countries in the African continent and Latin America and as well as the Caribbean and certain parts of Asia, right? But in reality, 
with the IMF, the World Bank, um, and later on the World Trade Organization came to represent were simply tools of neo-colonialism in a global capitalist system, right? Now this is enslavement through debt. Now when you take a look at a place like Congo, for example. Now Congo, in terms of resources, is the richest country on the face of the earth. They have a mineral called coltan that is present in every single electromagnetic device that there is in this world. So airplanes, our cell phones, our laptops, everything. Coltan is needed to make this, right? Now, what is happening right now as we speak in Congo, Democratic Congo? Companies like Microsoft, companies like Apple, um, all the major technology companies right now are being are, are basically exploiting the people of Congo for their natural resource, um, coltan. Right? Now, this, this is what the IMF, the World Bank, and the World Trade Organization do, right? They come into your country, they pretend to be fostering development and, and to be removing hunger and to be building a better nation, um, but really what they're doing is sucking the country and its people dry of its resources. Um, and and this, is, this is modern capitalism, you know, this is modern capitalism 101 and we know all the implications for this, you know, child slavery, you know, environmental crises, you know, um, and and what results is a dependency on the Western, on the Western world, right? So back to Barbados, how does this relate to sweet, sweet Barbados, right? Now, because of, of slavery, right, and because of the fact that Bajan is the average Barbadian, the average black Barbadian, right, that grew up in Barbados. They didn't own anything, right, in a sense of, pardon me, they did not own the means of production. When you look at Cole Williams, he's a white guy. When you look at Mark Maloney, he's a white guy. When you look at Saul, he's an Indian guy. And it's not about being white or being Indian, right? Because I don't really believe that there are different races of people. I mean, we are a human race, but that's a whole nother conversation. But what I'm saying is, when we talk about the violence, and we talk about the drugs, and we talk about the guns in Barbados, we have to put into context what's happened throughout history, what's happened in our political system, what's happening in the global political climate, right? Now, because of the neo-colonialism, right, that we experience as people living in the global south, as they would call it, right? That would be Latin America, Asia, Africa, um, the Caribbean, right? Countries that were to be managed by these financial institutions, right? What actually ended up happening, right, was that these major companies and corporations that were basically American and European, they came into our countries. They influenced our elections. I mean, there is tons and tons and tons of evidence and, and history um, 
basically uh, depicting what the United States has done all over the world in terms of military coups and overthrowing democratically elected government officials, right? And destabilizing regions, that's what they did, did in the Middle East and they continue to do um, in the world, right? But my point is that when we talk about the guns and the drugs and the violence again, you have to take in account the fact that the corruption that we have seen, the wealth and income inequality throughout the world, right? And the lack of a true and proper democracy, right? In Barbados. That, the, those three things are the main reasons why we have so much violence and corruption in Barbados. The guns have to come from somewhere, guys. The drugs have to come from somewhere. We know this. You know, we as Bajans, we know this. We are not stupid. Right? So, what I would like to talk about as well, too, is because of, of so much poverty in the world and lack of opportunity, especially in, in the third world, what we see is diseases of despair right and what what they are is you know opioid opioid addictions alcoholism you know and and a turn a, a, a situation where people feel like they're hopeless and the only thing they 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 can turn to is something illegal right that that is that is the cycle of violence right because if the politicians in the country have no accountability whatsoever why should the people growing up in these neighborhoods that don't have no opportunity um why should they feel obligated to care about other people to care about our society you know of course they're gonna terrorize their own people and terrorize their society because they have nothing left that is the cycle that they have been born into that a lot of us have been born into you understand um, so it is a serious cycle of violence and it's due to, to global capitalism, um, neocolonialism, colonialism itself, you know, um, that's why people say that slavery, it never left, you know, because really and truly the chain is just off. But when, when you take a look at the, um, the economic system and the, the economic institutions, the political institutions, um, you can see that it's not quite slavery, but we are not free either, right? And I want to end this podcast by playing um, an excerpt or a little clip, whatever you want to call it, from Dr. Richard Wolff. Um, he's a Marxist economist. Um, and honestly he is one of the leaders um in my opinion in in economics and and someone who's a voice of reason um within the world and i i greatly look up to him so i would like to play this um to end for you guys all true all true but you are no way going to undo two to three centuries of capitalist inequality, deeply ingrained in the consciousness of your people. 
are making a social change that has no blemishes, has no failures, has no cruelties. That's not going to happen. We might wish it, and I certainly do. And we might say it's important to point out the mistakes that the Cubans and the Venezuelans have made and are making. Fair enough. But once you understand the context, you will understand that the big problem facing Latin America is not Cuba and not Venezuela, neither of their regimes. They don't even have the history to justify it. The history is on the side of saying the big problem of the economic backwardness, inequality, and instability of Latin America. There the credit belongs where the credit is due. It's the capitalist system that has produced and reproduced their poverty, their misery, their inequality. If that isn't dealt with, you are going to have one revolution after another. As we have already seen, the future will be as the past has been. And will the United States each time be entering and trying to stop and control what in the end will win? The demand of people for an economic system that does not perform in the future as it has in the past. The overwhelming majority of people of, in Latin America want out of a system that has brought them the kind of suffering, the kind of inequality that is in fact behind the migration of people north to the United States because the conditions where they are are unbearable. That too is a product of a capitalist system brought to Latin America and South America by Europeans, left there, managed now by their own elites, their wealthy elites. This is not a sustainable situation. And finding fault with Cuba and Venezuela for how they have managed to get out of this situation is an inappropriate cheap shot that doesn't belong if you understand the economics of that part of the world. Thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of I've Been Thinking About It. My name is Christian Yearwood. Peace out.